0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got
1: the assist? Hello, so we're back. The summer just gone was a weird one in many respects. In some ways it feels like we've been gone a long time. Yet, simultaneously, it feels like we were just yesterday recording our end-of-season pod last season. For new listeners, welcome. I'm Tom, he's Nick, and we are Who Got the Assist? We're simply two mates from London who decided to make an FPL podcast last season based on our data-driven, analytical approach to FPL. And for some reason, people liked it. So we're back again this year and we'll hope you'll be assisting you throughout the season.
0: That's right, Tom. So hello all. Yes, we're back. As Tom said, we are Who Got The Assist. Welcome to any new listeners. You, you can find us online at whogottheassist.com. You can also find us on Twitter at wgta underscore fpl we're also on facebook you can find the pods um, on itunes um, stitcher just generally where you can find the pod anywhere but we've recently launched also on, on podbeam and spotify finally which is um, a great new um, place to find the pods and very easily accessible as well for those that use spotify
1: yeah definitely very uh, very happy
0: about that and also on soundcloud too soundcloud too yep. Yeah. and if you want to join our league it's 516-441. So yeah, excited to be back. How, how was your summer, Tom?
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too bad, Nick. As you know, like, I started my new job uh, just towards the end of last season. Been kind of busy working, working on a few kind of projects. And it's been really interesting. Good to kind of get my feet under the table just just in the in the early days sort of things. Obviously, we watched a lot of England, uh, watched a lot of the World Cup. And it's been really cool to watch our country get to the semi-finals and the third place playoff as well as kind of seeing a lot of unfamiliar players as of every world cup and uh, you got a lot of beer thrown over you didn't you nick so
0: <laughs> yeah, that standard yeah, world cup. <laughs> beer was flying everywhere when england scores it was yeah it's really good fun and um, yeah i had a really good summer as well um it's been a bit of a challenge for me because i've got the new baby and he's um only three months old now but uh, generally quite a lot of sleepless nights because of that um Watched a lot of England as well and yeah, uh, he stood out for me. Maguire, um, Trippier in defence in particular had really good World Cups. Uh, Yeah, so um, anyways, uh, let's talk about FPL and uh, uh, so what are we going to be talking about Tom on the first pod? So
1: uh, this is the first pod of I think three that we do this pre-season. I guess this one begins with a little bit of an intro in terms of what you can expect from us for the season ahead. No, it won't be too long before we get stuck into the preview kind of bit of the top 10 teams alphabetically in the Premier League.
0: That yep, sounds about right. And um, all apologies to fans of teams whose team names begin with L to W. But we'll be doing another pod next week. Where we'll be covering those teams. Last year, I think we tried to do it all together in one pod and it became an epic two hour session, which we had to cut large chunks of. So I think it makes more sense to do it in two separate pods.
1: Yeah, I remember that. I remember that we um, we bought loads of beer, didn't we? we were sitting in my old office, and I think towards the end we were just like, Oh yeah, Watford, get just get Deeney, just get Deeney, right? Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> so it's probably a good thing that we're uh, that we're doing this uh, in, in two pieces, otherwise I think towards the end we do kind of lose a little bit of impetus, don't we? Um and we're also lucky, I guess, in some ways, a lot of players to the World Cup in terms of the second half of the preview, uh which will happen sometime, as Nick said, next week or so we we'll also have a final kind of all systems go pod, probably of FPL Stag, um, a friend of ours is coming back on, uh, focusing on the unwritten rules of FPL, um, which is, will be uh, kind of uh, recorded nearer to the game week one kickoff.
0: Great. Right. Let's crack on then, Tom. What should people expect of us this year?
1: Right. Um, Well, so quite a few interesting things, I guess. I mean, in terms of pre-season, as some of you may know, we do a little bit of writing in pre-season, but then kind of move to a full-on pod during the actual season itself. Uh, We like to get our thinking and thoughts out there. And we've got a lot of stuff coming your way. So by the time you're listening to this, um, it's Saturday morning at the moment for us, but you've listened to this on Monday. On Monday, we're going to be releasing our Talisman Theory article, which is where we look into uh, the idea that there's one key player in every FPL team that you should invest in and, and try to mine the FPL data to understand whether that's true or not. We'll also be looking at stuff like points per value and cost. And Nick, you've also looked at something about the the death of the third striker, I believe.
0: Yep, I've looked at the third striker and its role within the FPL team and how generally they've been a really poor source of points over the last few seasons. So why not scrap the position altogether and just plump someone on your bench who's 4.5?
1: Yeah, and I, I completely subscribe to that. This year, I feel like my team is looking like a team that you would have put together at the moment. But we'll come on to that another time. Um, I've got we'll have we've got some uh, goalkeeper analysis. There's a lot of talk about that going on at the moment. We'll have an analysis of the uh, four point fives, at least four point five defenders. That is along with other price brackets and also prospects and the prospects will continue throughout the summer for as long as we can as much as we can do it I mean obviously we can't do every single one and if there are players who are joining from exotic leagues such as the Ukrainian League or indeed the, the Scottish League for whatever reason a lot of providers don't have data on that so uh, we probably will have them as part of a roundup but where we can we're we'll doing a full fat prospecting the prospects and a lot of players coming into the Premier League.
0: Yeah, and in terms of the pod format, we're going to be retaining themes as key talking points. Features-wise, though, there's going to be a little bit of a shake-up. Unfortunately, there's going to be no Nyon watch this season. Very sadly, um, Alan Nyon, he got relegated. We're always interested in um, what Alan Nyon is up to. So if you do spot him in Primark, if he, if he does score a Weldy in the uh, Championship, do let us know and, and we'll make reference to it in the pods. But we won't be following his um, travails uh, week in, week out in the same way we did this season.
1: No, certainly not. A bit of fun, a fun farewell to Adam. And also um, the anti are also ripped. We've decided to take the uh, take that team into a in a different direction this year, as we'll talk about in a second. In terms of what features there will be this year, uh, market forces obviously stays, doesn't it, Nick?
0: Yep, I'll be uh, leading that again, going through the uh, the movers and shakers in the market, trying to hunt value in FPO assets. Um, I've also written a little bit of an article on uh, some of the value assets this season, which will be published um, at some point over the coming weeks. Yeah, the falling stars, isn't it? And then understanding. I mean, a yeah, piece, it's, it's a bit of an ironic article because it's all, it's, you know, it's your Ross Barkley's, your your Fine albums of this world who uh, were quite expensive last season, but actually look um, relatively cut price this season.
1: Yeah, um, well, I think it'll be interesting to, to to have a look at that, even if those aren't players but it's necessarily going to be flocking to. In terms of the new features then, uh, the first one is, in place of Antimetas, we're going to be doing an All England 15. No one's done it before, we don't think. And we're kind of doing this to celebrate the achievement of the three Lions in terms of unifying our, our country um, and making us all believe, at least for a little while. I'm not going to go into it's coming home, but you know what I mean. Uh, I just want to note this isn't a political point in any way, shape or form. We're just doing it because... I think it's nice to do to ride the crest of the wave in terms of England's performances and and kind of the the positivity towards the team, as well as kind of seeing if an English team could perform well in FPL and will be actively managing that team throughout the season.
0: Yep, and we're also going to be uh, doing a Zombie Nation League. Um, And if you want to join this league, the code is 280665-58277. The rules of this league is basically set and forget. Game week one, you set your team up. You don't play any chips. You don't make any changes. No substitutions, transfers, captain changes, completely untouched. And uh, we'll be monitoring uh, the teams as well. So if anyone does start fooling around with it, we'll have to kick them out of the league, unfortunately. But yeah, go for your um, go for your scary names. Set your team up. I think I'm looking at personally some high-value defensive assets as usual. Play, it's got to be like players that you think are going to play every game. Be a staple for their teams. And we'll see. And we'll see who comes out top.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it'll be really interesting to monitor each week. I think in the beginning, you may even see your zombie team overtake you or do a lot better than you just because you're going to be perhaps putting in players, as Nick said, who are high value and nailed on. There's an interesting twist this year, though, in terms of doing it, because you've got players who are still at the World Cup, like Harry Kane, um, players who, you know, it's doubtful whether they'll be back in time for game week one, players like Roberto Firmino. But you probably do want these players in your zombie team. So you may have to think about your bench as well a little bit. And I think there's a few ways of doing it as well, aren't there? I mean, you can set your own kind of... Uh, I've gone for a 5-2-3, five, five, Nick, actually. And very much, very, a team that you'd approve of uh, in terms of being very defence heavy. But another way someone told me they are doing it is they're going to do a test and control. So they're going to do their game week one team in both... Uh, the zombie and in their kind of their normal managed team and then see how well the zombie team does if they didn't touch anything all season compared to their actual team so it's almost like the ultimate uh, uh, the, the, ult- the ultimate the ultimate test and control almost to see how good you are as a manager or how much impact you have as a manager as I suspect I suspect that kind of in the in the early days you may see a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, fluctuation but I think only a few zombie teams are really going to make it very far in terms of the ranks right
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. That sounds like a, a decent way of experimenting. I do remember last season we were looking at our game week one teams and about our game week five teams, and I mean, think, I think in your case actually the game week one team was pretty much the same score as the game week five team. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, very depressing. That's, so.
1: Should also mention, of course, that you only allow one team per person, uh, so it's always worth asking a football-uninterested, you know, friend, parent significant other or dog or something to uh to run this team for you seems pretty cool we also
0: have um, questions open to the public um like last season we haven't done any questions for this pod or the next one because we're going to try and focus on just you know rounding up the various teams but going forward there'll be questions in the pod week in week out
1: yeah, and these questions we're gonna to try to do it a little bit differently. So we're gonna to try to open up this the podcast, either this window, we're speaking on Google Hangouts at the moment, either open up this window to everybody, um, so you can kind of come into the pod at a certain point, I'll put a note up on Twitter, and you can kind of just start interacting with us via YouTube. Um, we're going to see how it works with Stag uh, when he comes on in game week three to see if we can get it going. It may ne- never go anywhere because it may be too much of a faff in terms of me editing it and me making this all work. But um, if we're able to do it, then we will because we want an- we want to try to find the. A better way of interacting with people other than taking their questions and kind of tacking them on at the end it'll be very good to have kind of an ongoing kind of discussion sort of thing if that makes sense
0: yeah also there's always um, a theme to every single pod Um there is a theme this week there will be a few references dropped in so look out for them it generally seems to be like we go for sort of musical bands type themes or tv shows or film franchises so look out for the references and see if you can spot them
1: yeah, I mean, sometimes it's quite subtle and other times we milk it, so it varies, but hopefully that's an interesting thing as well for, for, for you listeners to to also enjoy during the pod. I guess the final thing to talk about is that I might uh, occasionally do some of my um, kind of single topic streams every now and again. Um, I did one when the, when the game released uh, a little bit earlier than we anticipated, and a lot of stuff to talk about so i just thought well instead of waiting for a few weeks to have my say or have our say i should say uh, i had a call with nick and instead of doing that instead of waiting for today i thought i'd just kind of get on get on twitter get on periscope and do it so i might occasionally do those every now and again but as i say every time i'm not looking to professionally or kind of uh, consistently stream as it were I'm sticking to the pod for now right so that's a lot of things uh that is uh stuff that's gonna come your way uh next week uh onwards during the pre-season and that's the format for the pod for this year going forward love to hear what you think about that Lots of stuff on our twitter in terms of the zombie league if you want to find out a bit more about that the all in the 11 first draft is up there as well and um okay let's take a short break there and really dive into it talk about the team previews from arsenal through to huddersfield who got the assist who got the assist right we're back and it's time it's time Nick to get into FPL previewing uh, for the second year and uh, I'm really interested in this um We've done a lot of research and uh, hopefully it will shine through here. Lots of really fun facts and lots of interesting snippets about certain players, which hopefully will be very useful to you guys in terms of picking your uh, picking your teams ahead of game week one. Obviously, it's the first 10 teams this week. Next week, we'll do kind of the the, the final 10 teams in the Premier League, doing an alphabetical order because of the World Cup. We can't cover every player, I think we should say, at the very beginning. Um, I, I'm really sorry if there are, is going to be a player that um, you're screaming at your earphones, oh, why didn't you mention him? Um, unfortunately, you know, we do we, we only have a certain amount of time to do this. We can't go through every single player person by person, but we'll do our very best to cover all the key assets as
0: we can. Should we get into Arsenal then Nick? Yep, let's start with um with with Arsenal. So um firstly we'll we'll talk quickly about um their opening fixtures. And the first two are actually quite tough ones. They've got Manchester City and then they've got Chelsea. But after that, they've got a really nice run of fixtures all the way to Game Week 10, where they play West Ham, Cardiff, Newcastle, Everton, Watford, Fulham, Leicester, Crystal Palace, and I think that's that's a great run of fixtures right there. So I think um for me personally, I don't know if I'm actually going to have any Arsenal players in my opening game week one team, but I think definitely from game week three we'll have an idea because they've got a new manager as well. We don't really know how he's going to set up, like where all the guys are going to play, who's going to be in his favour, who he's going to sort of consign to the bench. So there's there's been a few signings as well, so it's all slightly up in the air. We know, for instance, that Aubameyang is probably going to be one of their key assets next season. And I think he's one, he's one player that you've um, looked at in a little bit of detail as well. He's, he's 11.0, so he's quite a premium forward. He's only joined in, um, in January as of last season, so he's still relatively new to the Premier League. But this really could be a big season for him.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, in terms of the fixtures as well, um, something to note about Arsenal is that The last kind of uh, the last time they play a top six team is game week thirty when they play Man United. So game week thirty-one to thirty-eight are all team well Burnley actually are in the Europa League who are on the final day. But between game week thirty-one and thirty-eight, there is no top six team that we play. Um, which is going to be very interesting. I mean, as you mentioned, Man City and Chelsea are putting a lot of people off. um, But I think there's always kind of a sense of a new manager bounce. And I'd back us to do something, I think, in the early games. I mean, obviously, our team's in utero at the moment. But I think that there may be kind of uh, cause for encouragement with Unai Emery, who has a... uh, Uh, has a reputation for extracting value uh, from teams and making them more than some of their parts. Um, The serial UEL victories uh, with Sevilla are what comes to mind rather than being battered by Neymar's massive ego at PSG. So you mentioned Aubameyang. Aubameyang is probably one who is going to be in my team very early on. Um, I did had a little bit of a look at him and I I think the key metric with him is is conversion. Conversion is kind of how many of your shots on target you tend to convert um, into being a goal, basically. Um, So he had 61% shot accuracy last season, 13 games, 10 goals. His conversion rate from the Bundesliga is slightly regressed, but it's still very impressive. So from the start of the 2015-16 season until January when he left, he'd scored 0.97 goals per game, Nick which is pretty ridiculous there was a slight regression um but the numbers still remain excellent so he took 31 shots in his 13 games last season 19 of which were on target which is 61% shot accuracy and he scored 13 goals which is a conversion rate of 69% for shots on target two goals he scored 87 points as well in the short time he did play in contrast Kun's conversion rate was 59% so 10% less 42 shots on target 25 goals Vardy's 59% and then below that Lacazette 44% Bobby Firmino, 40%, Kane, 40%, and Nukaku, 38%. And for those who are interested, Salah was on 49%. I guess the gamble with Aubameyang is whether he will score in the first two. I think there's a lot of people who are kind of avoiding him and thinking, yeah, for that, that fantastic run of fixtures past game week two that you mentioned, um, they're going to do do something else in the beginning, maybe put an Aguero in and then swap to Aubameyang. The gamble you're taking is that he doesn't score in those first two game weeks. However, I'm more optimistic about Aubameyang's chances. I think that Man City, you've got what Walker, Company, Stones, uh, Mendy still in Russia at the moment. So their defence may be a little bit of patchwork game week one, and as I said, there will a new manager, manager bounce, I think, for Arsenal, which may mean that Aubameyang does at least nick one. i I, I back him too. And with Chelsea, I mean, Sarri's just come in. Um, we don't know yet what they're going to be looking like game week two. That might be a bit of a trickier fixture, but I'd still back him to back him to score and make it worth 11.0. And by game week three, I'm going to want him anyway. So I figure, why not just start the season with him? Top premium striker. In the absence of Harry Kane, I think he's the one that I probably you know, I've got kind of a bit of a gut feeling about,
0: and it seems the shot conversion stats really back that up. That's some great data, there, Tom. Um, just as a note to our listeners, um, when Tom says "we" or "us" about Arsenal, he he's actually an Arsenal fan. I'm, I'm a Spurs fan, but we don't really talk about that too much on the pods. We try and avoid tribal football politics where we can. We we avoid the territorial pissing contests that um, some football fans definitely get involved with. But um, just a just as a little note there to our to our listeners about uh, Tom and his uh, arsenal biases, let's say.
1: (laughs) I I tend to be quite good though. Uh, Yeah, you do.
0: Um, especially with FPL as well and I think last season you avoided them quite a lot of the season they had quite a poor season and um, I generally avoided Arsenal as well but I think this season there are definitely some good value assets um, within the Arsenal team and I will definitely be looking at some of their players for game week three Um, the one I was looking at in particular actually was um, Hector Bellerin at 5.5 I think that's um, really good value for a defender he, um, he scored um, 132 points last season with two goals, four assists and 12 clean sheets. Actually, only six forwards in the game scored more than him last season. So I think potentially one for the Zombie team as well. I think what's interesting as well is 2015-16, he was, um, was one of the top scoring defenders with 172 points where he managed 18 clean sheets, one goal and six assists. And that's, that's an absolutely fantastic score for a defender, especially. And for a player that's now 5.5, if he can recreate that kind of form, that would be brilliant. And I think with um, Arsenal investing in a new goalkeeper, um, new defenders, Bellerin could actually be one of the main beneficiaries of this, because Arsenal are more likely to get clean sheets this season with the new investment in the goalkeeper and in defence. And Bellerin has the potential and opportunity to attack and get those um, attacking um, assists and um goals
1: as well yeah no he's definitely I mean, if, if you watch us I think he's definitely in the kind of very high up the pitch an awful lot of the time providing that kind of attacking support but the only note that I make from owning him several times I have definitely fallen into the oh Hector's looking okay trap uh, quite a few times over the years is that um, he relies I think a lot on on assists and bonus to get his points rather than obviously goals isn't, is is kind of is more a, a once in a blue moon sort of thing and a lot of the assists as well are FPL assists rather than full on assists so it's stuff like uh, I remember I owned him last season and he got me I think he got me a couple of assists but they were both blocked shots you um, but equally as you say like he offered, he may offer value for money from game week three I think I mean I looked at Socratis as well for a perspective yeah. of prospects very very similar in lots of respects to Harry Maguire like basically the same KPIs in terms of uh, defensive stats to the pass completion in terms of uh, shots I think he took 0.77 shots per game last season Maguire took 0.76 And Maguire came fourth in the BPS charts amazingly if Arsenal can keep clean sheets and Socrates in the team he may be uh, a, a bonus monster to have a look at
0: just just one point on Bellerin for goal threat as well Up, he's still up there for the defenders he was the sixth um, for uh, shots last season with uh, with 29 so I think he does offer that even if you you know his conversion rate is pretty poor but I still think he's potentially the one I'm looking at Monreal is another defender at 5.5 but if um, Emery switches to a four four two, will he play left back he's not really a natural centre back It was a bit of a Confused role that he played last season, so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in the team. And um, Mkhitaryan's another great shout within the Arsenal team, I think at seven point zero. And I know you um, you're a big fan of uh, Aaron Ramsey as well, aren't you, Thomas? He's seven point five this season.
1: Yeah, he is, and I think some of it is through looking at um, Sevilla and uh, what Emery did there. And uh, Ivan Rakitic, who's a player who shares a lot of kind of the box-to-box kind of attributes of Aaron Ramsey, um, was very successful within Emery's system. I mean, uh, last season, uh, Ramsey had about six points per game uh, when he was actually playing. And there's always kind of goals and assists in his pocket. And I think that he... A 7.5, it, it does come in a little bit undervalued. and He might want those players who is worth investing in, especially, either early on if he wants to take the punt or kind of from game week three onward. Um, other Arsenal players than Nick, beyond that, you've got uh, messer Ozil, who came in at 8.5. Last season, he went missing, quite literally, for, for large spells. I don't think he was seen at all during the running, was he? No, Ozil was... um Otsel was pretty um, uninvolved last season. I did actually have a little look at him, Nick. I mentioned he went missing and you said he had a pretty bad season. Obviously, at the World Cup, he uh, came in for a lot of flack, shall we say. Incredibly, Nick, Messer Otsel ended up in the top four for chances created last season after just 26 appearances. He made 3.23 chances per game and created a big chance once every two games. To contrast that chance per game stat, KDB and Eriksson created that. 105 and 95 in their games, which is 2.8 or 2.5 chances per game. And uh, Fabregas, uh, who, again, somehow is in the top four, despite not really figuring any radars last season, created 2.7 chances per game. So 3.23 chances per game made by Mesut Ozil. And I think there could be some positivity there, actually, for 8.5. I mean, I think maybe he is, if he does start playing up, a 9.5 to 10 million player, who's undervalued by a fair bit. I think we could find that with Aubameyang and the conversion if Ozer was able to feed him, that the German could be really a, a, the dynamo, the catalyst that makes Arsenal work this year. What do you think about him? And I mean, we haven't mentioned Lacazette yet, Nick, either.
0: No, I think with Ozil, I think last season he was overpriced and he was far too expensive for anyone really to think about him as a, a viable asset. This season, 8.5, you know, he is someone to think about and to monitor. And if he does start to hit a rich vein of form, then maybe he will be someone that I... Um, I plan on bringing in a little bit later down the line, perhaps. Uh, Lacazette's an interesting one because, you know, if Aubameyang's going to be playing in a number nine uh, position, he's probably going to be shuttled off onto the the wings. And for a player that's listed at a forward at his price, I- I'd need to see goals week in, week out if I was to consider him over the likes of some of the other premium forwards. And I think. Uh, Around his actual price range, for Firmino is someone I'd definitely much prefer over Lacazette by a million miles at the moment.
1: The only time he's ever gotten above 20 goals is when he's had penalties. And we don't know who's got penalties at the moment for Arsenal. Uh, I think for with Lacazette, as you said, it's interesting to see where him and Aubameyang will be lining up. If Aubameyang's on the wing or Lacazette's on the wing, how it works out. So a little bit of pre-season to do. But if Lacazette is the starting kind of number nine in the classic sense at 9.5, could be worth a dark horse pick. And finally, you you spoke about the the keep the new keeper, Burnt Leno. Um, unfortunately, an adverse stat made its way through Twitter, which is that he averaged the uh, three mistakes leading to goal, um, over the last three seasons. Um, but uh, Peter check last season was top for mistakes leading to goals of six. Um, so uh, maybe it's time for a changing of the guard. Let's just hope we don't get burnt. Right, let's move on to Bournemouth Danik, and Nick uh, and. Yeah, interesting one, aren't they? To begin with, I think a lot of uh, a lot of teams do carry a Bournemouth asset, and you can kind of see why. I mean, the first ten game weeks um, start off with a home game against Cardiff, which I think is drawing many, and I then West Ham away, Everton at home, Chelsea away, Leicester at home. Burnley away, Crystal Palace at home, Watford away, Southampton at home and Fulham away. So a a fairly decent kind of run between game week one and game week 10. And we also picked out that between game week 30 and 36, they also find themselves with quite a good run. So maybe alongside Arsenal, another team that we may see kind of come back into vogue towards the end of the season. But they were pretty poor last season in terms of FPL. They were 16th last season for points scored but when they were actually 12th in reality. In terms of players' contributions to their points score, they had the joint highest spread with Arsenal and Newcastle. So Begovic was their talisman uh, with, with 8% of their points. Um, he scored just 36 points with, with appearance removed, that is. So um, in terms of his points that were scored that weren't appearance, he, he scored the most, which is pretty uh, pretty poor. I guess Begovic and Boric are viable as a four point five point four point zero, right? Um Who have you picked up from Bournemouth, Nick? So, um, as
0: usual, I've looked at the defence, Tom. Um, What's interesting about Bournemouth is um, a lot of their players have um, actually had price falls, a bit like the Arsenal players. Um, Last season, the likes of Charlie Daniels and Steve Cook were 5.0, a little bit too expensive for most people's tastes. This season, they're 4.5, which makes them really good uh, value options in the defence. I think um, Daniels, um, especially, I've always been quite a big fan of his, Um, He had a bit of a drop in points last season. He only got 94, um, but he still managed to get one goal and and three assists, just six clean sheets. But the season before that, he managed to net four goals, three assists and get 10 clean sheets and got him 134 points, which would have made him the talisman this season if he got that uh, sort of points return. I think he's definitely one to to keep an eye on, and I think I've got him actually in my current um, starting eleven. I know you've um, you've got Steve Cook; he's another player that I've owned previously. Um, he's always got an eye for goal. He's um, relatively um, dangerous in the box on corners, and um, I think um, him and him and Daniels, especially with these uh, opening fixtures for Bournemouth, are are, are worthy of um, selection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Daniels has the lion's share of the ownership at the moment. Steve Cook is my pick, as you say. Um, he was 11th for uh, defenders in terms of shots in the box last season with 21. Daniels, it's worth noting, only took six shots in the box, and um, 14 of them were kind of long-range efforts. And defensively, Steve Cook was third for blocks last season behind uh, behind Duffy and Dunk. Another one to mention quickly is Adam Smith, and uh, he is the uh, the right back, I believe. He actually won more take-ons than Charlie Daniels did last season, almost double. Uh, Charlie Daniels 24 with 44, and he creates the chance more frequently. So he another he could be another one outside of. Daniels. Daniels and Cook uh, that people could be looking at. And yeah, he's another kind of, who's just 4.5. Um, in terms of the midfield, last year's disappointment, Ryan Fraser, Jordan Ibe, David Brooks, who we're going to be having a look at. Um, our designer, Matt, rates him highly, but I'm not really too sure there's much going on in the midfield. Um, but up front, um, it's a tale of two Englishmen, isn't it, Nick? Uh, Josh King and Callum Wilson, the latter price, 0. 0.5, more than the former. And I think the 0. 0.5 is due to Josh King having
0: penalties, right? Yeah, and uh, the other Englishman... Uh... Jermaine Defoe <laughs> um who's uh, one of our falling stars because he's only 6.0 but he, he's pretty old now so we're not sure how much um we're gonna see uh Jermaine feature next season but um Callum Wilson I think he, he's my favorite um of the former forward options um he got um eight goals to assist last season out of 28 games um he was the most prolific season so far in the Premier League and um he had a points per game of four point zero. So if if he's set to start week in week out, he could definitely be someone to to monitor um, in that first striker position.
1: Yeah, 6.0 is pretty decent. I mean, there's a lot of people who were trolled by him at some points during last season, but it's almost a case, you know, never mind. It's a new season. Let's kind of get get on with it. Um, I think in terms of, uh, I mean, Defoe, I think, is slightly out of the picture at the moment. It looks like he's kind of the bench striker in some way. So it is between Wilson and King. And Wilson is slightly superior in terms of attempts. He took 53 last season versus 51 for King. Um, But crucially, Callum Wilson had the lion's share of the big chances. He had 13 big chances compared to King's seven. So I'd probably be tempted to plump for him at 6.0 if you're looking looking at it down there. And the standout for me is uh, game week two versus West Ham for Callum Wilson uh, last season and that was quite a controversial fixture for him. And I think he'll be kind of uh, pretty riled up for that. It's interesting, actually, because it's almost like Lukaku. With Lukaku against West Ham, I always kind of am drawn towards that. and For Wilson, it's kind of slowly going that way. Maybe it's the beginning of it, last season's histrionics in that particular fixture.
0: OK, we're going to talk about Brighton next. Now, uh, Brighton, they've actually got a relatively uh, tough start to the season. They open with Watford, but after that, they got Manchester United and Liverpool, two very tough fixtures. Um, then Fulham, Southampton, Spurs, Manchester City as their opening um, set of eight fixtures. So I think it's going to be quite a, a tough start for Brighton. There's a few options definitely out there. I think the main man that uh, both me and Tom have been heavily looking at is, is Pascal Gross. Um, he's 7.0, but his his chance creation stats were just off the chart last season. He he created 82, which was the sixth highest out of all Premier League assets, Um only the likes of um, Ericsson and KDB, and also uh, the aforementioned Fabregas and Oetzel, uh doing better than him. I think he's definitely um, he's definitely got the potential to to repeat uh, that sort of performance this season for Brighton, where he's their talisman. Uh, definitely, I know you've, you've got some more data on Gross as well, haven't you, Tom? Yeah, he's the last
1: man standing in terms of the uh, the high-scoring talisman. So, um, Jordan Shakiri and Riyad Mahrez have moved on. Uh, they both contributed 40% of uh, outfield points to their team, minus uh, appearance and minus clean sheets. Uh, Pascal Gross also scored 40% of Brighton's uh, kind of attacking points last season. He also, interestingly, made the most successful crosses of all players last season. He- Found his mark with seventy of his two hundred and thirty-four crosses, and he also made the second most mountain crosses last season. KDB was first with uh, a little bit more. And uh, you mentioned the chances created. He was actually joint second the big chances created last season with sixteen, uh, joint with Daley Ali, Jordan Shaqiri, Christian Eriksen, and Andros Townsend. Huh? <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, Andros Townsend. Amazing. Right. Um. But seven point zero, as you say, set and forget. We know that he's going to do something. Most games, you've got a very good chance. I mean, 40% of all uh, attacking points last season, you've got a 4-10 chance of, if there's a Brighton goal, Pascal Gross being involved. I think that's going to be a very interesting one. We're kind of moving a little bit around. I mean, isquierdo 6.0, also of interest. Alex Ball mentioned him on our Slack. Took a few more shots than Gross last season, uh, 52 compared to 44. Took more shots in the box, 29 compared to 19. But a lot less crossing. A few uh, father chances created. Um, If you need the extra million, go for it, but I'm not too sure about that. And in defence, I thought, did you mention you're looking at Balogun?
0: No, I swear I don't have Balogun. Um, I think uh, Duncan Duffy are the likely starters in central defence. But I think they've got a tough um, opening set of fixtures. So few people will be looking at those guys too heavily. But I think what's interesting about Duncan Duffy, out of all the £4.5 million defenders, they were the most offensive of the ones available with uh, 28 and 27 shots. So no other 4.5 uh, million defenders had more shots um, than those guys. But both of them actually have very similar stats. I think their their conversion rate was pretty poor last season, with Dunk being the only one that actually managed a goal. And the less said about the own goals, the better from last season as well.
1: Oh, yeah, don't remind me. Uh, yeah, Duffy's an interesting one, isn't he? I mean, second for shots in the box last season amongst defenders. Uh, 28 shots, zero goals. <laughs> I mean, if these lads score and keep a clean sheet, I mean, you mentioned that they've got very similar stats, very good stats as well. They were the top two for blocks, uh, fifty nine for Duffy, fifty eight for Dunk, and Duffy was actually top of the CBI by an awfully long way. So that's kind of the combined bonus measure for clearances, blocking, interceptions. Uh, Schindler was second actually with 71. Uh, Duffy was about a hundred more than that. If they keep a clean sheet, it's going to be all good. I mean, they could kind of come in with, what nine points. Imagine if they score as well, he could be a fifteen pointer kind of hit, like a fifteen pointer kind of person. I mean, the XG is massive for, for Duffy. Equally, the, the difficult pitches to begin with may mean that it's probably not something that going be looking at at the moment um matt ryan as well in goal i think that he at the world cup was very impressive for australia and definitely a very competent goalkeeper lots of saves i think he was second for saves last season was it third for saves? second or third for, in the top three for saves last season and uh at 4.5 of the 4.0 backup he could be one if to kind of think about if you want to set up your team kind of like that i think he saved two penalties as well last season
0: yeah, he had a great season for Brighton last season. I think he's definitely a decent option in the goal there. I think generally there's there's a few others around that price range. Um Lossell's another another good one. Um, so up front for Brighton, you've also got Glenn Murray, um, but he's like the old war horse. He's six point five million this season and he's he's turning thirty five um in September. But you know, um we someone like gross in the team, creating those chances. Murray's perhaps the guy that can get on the end of them with his head. But there's a bit of a rivalry there as well in terms of who's going to start. We've got um, Andone, who's a 5.0. There's Locadia as well.
1: Yeah, the, the Romanian striker, Andone. I've seen, I've seen a few people say that um, they expect Murray to start the season and Andone to slowly kind of come in. He was quite a big transfer, actually, although we're probably not going to do a professional prospects because he only played kind of sporadically last season. But an interesting one. Locadia, we're not too sure whether he's a winger or being kind of fielded as a deep-lying or advanced forward kind of uh, kind of yeah. thing.
0: But yeah, one one's there, to keep an eye on. There's also Tom O'Hamed, um, the Israeli superstar. <laughs> he's still lurking around. It. I think he's still at the team as well. So yeah, it's a bit of a competition for places. So not really looking too heavily at the Brighton forward line at this moment in time.
1: No, but as we said, I think Pascal Gross in both of our teams He's our new cover star and he is kind of, one person who really who really popped in our talisman theory article, so I think he's going to be one that we'll go with uh, at least in the beginning. Um, he'll definitely be my zombie team as well. By the way, as I said, and forget.
0: Yeah, so that's Brighton. Let's move on to Burnley uh, now. Burnley, we've had a little bit of a contentious debate uh, between myself and Tom in regards to uh, what we think of the assets here. Uh, yeah, obviously, they were they were great last season. They have got a relatively decent um, starting um, set of fixtures. Well, really good. Really, they they play Southampton, Watford, Fulham, then Manchester United, um, which is their tough fixture, and then they have got Wolves, Bournemouth, Cardiff, and Huddersfield uh, before the fixtures start to stiffen. So I think um, you know a few people are looking at Burnley. I know you've said that you you were having you were thinking about having Ben Mee as uh, one of your uh, picks, but for me, I think you've got to be a little bit careful with Burnley because uh, they are involved in Europa League, and I think this might be. Um, might mean that you know the players start to get quite tired quite early and they're op- they're opening actually in the qualification round so they're going to be playing Aberdeen in just um, just on the 26th of July so you know it's, it's starting almost straight away for them
1: yeah no i definitely see that uh, i've seen a lot of people kind of saying oh i'm not looking at burnley because of that um but I think that in some ways, if you, that's a kind of a double-edged sword. That they may be tired, yeah, but they also may be more match fit than the rest of the Premier League teams if they've started a little bit earlier. Um, in terms of a well-drilled defence, I think that Burnley is probably top of my list in terms of what I think about if I hear that phrase. I mean, eleven clean sheets last season. Uh, I think kind of, I think it was ten the season before as well. Um, I think that they may be worth including or maybe worth thinking about. At the end of the day, it's one of those teams that after game week one, we may all be thinking, "Oh." Crap, I should have seen Burnley. I mean, OK, the squad's quite thin, I think, towards the middle of the season. The tiredness may kind of kick in. But early on, I'm fairly happy to have a Burnley asset who will probably be me because I think that they're going to be that little bit fitter, that, bit, that little bit more in gear and that little bit more in rhythm than perhaps the teams they're going to be facing. And they also had kind of minimal coverage,
0: apart from Nick Pope, I think, is the only kind of Burnley player still left of the World Cup. My theory is obviously the the wafer-thin squad um, and they don't really have the depth um, you require for European football. And we've seen historically um, with teams like West Ham, Everton last season, Southampton, Newcastle really struggling in the Premier League after having a really good season because of their... European, uh, Europa League involvement. And I think um, a lot of the teams also struggle quite heavily with the travel, though uh, Burnley have lucked, lucked out a little bit, I guess, by playing Aberdeen. So that's not too far for them to actually travel compared to travelling to you know the depths of Eastern Europe. I think there are good options in the Burnley team. In terms of the defence, um, they've all benefited from a price hike. So all the starting defenders are now 5.0 for Burnley, which I think... You know, obviously, when there are a lot of good value assets at 4.5, I prefer um, looking at some of those 4.5 million options over the 5.0 that I would have to spend on the Burnley defender. So that, that frees up an extra 0.5 million, which really can go a long way um, in the rest of your team. So I think um, I'm not going to be getting involved with Burnley. And you've also there's always that Thursday night fear as well, isn't there, that one of your players is going to get injured. And we talk oh, God, you know, yeah. we talked historically about Charlie Austin when he was at Southampton and how you should never cancer <laughs> in a player before a Europa League fixture.
1: Yeah. I mean it could it could be, you know, Ben Ben Me on a Thursday, uh, getting a foot injury. Who knows? But I mean in terms of Burn defence, you've mentioned them, it's probably best to treat them as a unit. Uh, there's very little to distinguish them really statistically. I mean, I'm on me because he takes the most shots. Uh, he took one over one just over every 90 minutes, uh, 25 in total last season, which is joint fifth of Otamendi and Shawcross um, in goal. Uh, Pope is probably the be- was probably the best goalkeeper last season in terms of points per value, wasn't he, Nick? Um, but I worry with him, uh, with Heaton being on his shoulder. I'm not too sure what I'd do. If I was uh, Sean Dyche, if Pope makes a mistake, do I put Heaton in all of a sudden? I mean, on football manager, I, I sold Pope but um, kept Heaton. But hey, I mean, I think that's quite a difficult dynamic. So I'm probably not going to be looking there, especially with uh, with, with Dave saves David De Gea um, luring me. Um In the midfield, Joey Goodmanson uh, at 6.0 and probably no one else there. 117 points, Goodmanson got two goals, nine assists, on set pieces, and he was in the top five for crosses made last season, the second most successful crosser of the ball.
0: Yep, and up front, um, you've got Chris Woods at 6.5. I think he's actually um, a really good pick. Probably one of the best um, options if you are looking around that price range for a third striker, uh, 6.5 million. Last season, he managed um, 10 goals and one assist, which was um, quite an impressive uh, return for only playing half a season. And uh, he was really good at Leeds um, in the championship. I wrote a prospecting the prospects um, on him last season, which you can find on our website if you if you want to read more about Chris Wood. But I think he's definitely a, a good option, and we uh, should uh, hit the ground running next season. I think, especially with those opening fixtures, he's likely to score a few goals.
1: And there was also Ashley Barnes six point zero Austria's finest. He was one of those who was always on the radar last season, um, but there's not very much between him and Wood apart from 0.5 in terms of price. Um, Wood had the higher shot accuracy and conversion rate last season, whereas uh, Barns took the most shots and seemed to kind of get the goals in certain games, didn't he? He seemed to kind of score against the big clubs and that kind of thing. Uh, but but I think Burnley are, are still going to be a very good team despite the, the Europa League travails. And I think to some extent, we're all Aberdeen fans, aren't we? I mean, this point is being made on Twitter a lot, uh, but we're all kind of, Backing uh, Aberdeen to hopefully beat Burnley in the Europa League to turn this all into a moot point. At which, in,
0: in which case, Nick, would you be looking at Burnley if they're something out of the Europa League? Uh, possibly. I don't think um, I'm necessarily going to have any of their players in my um, opening team, and I think that's mainly because of the price in terms of the defence. I'd rather spend four point five million on the likes of um, Cedric or Daniels or a few other options that are out there rather than. Pay that extra point five million, but that's that's just me. I've got other players I'm looking at in defence as well, um, so I haven't really. But if they, you know, if they get clean sheets against Southampton, get clean sheets in Watford, I'm going to have to seriously consider bringing in one of their defenders at that point. I think Chris Wood is probably my favourite of all the Burnley assets, but at the moment I'm going for a, a cheaper front line.
1: I'm just kind of hoping the uh, the, the curse of Nick here, uh, which has been the co-bane of your life, really, in terms of uh, you uh rubbishing teams and then them doing quite well
0: uh continues to well I haven't uh, rubbished you know, to... Burnley at all. I think they're <laughs> really good at but I think you remember last season West Brom um played uh, did you know they performed in a similar manner to Burnley um the season before last and uh you know they finished about eighth. Apart from that end run which was pretty terrible but under Poolis they seemed like a really strong unit, getting lots of clean sheets well-recognised. We saw all the players get prize hikes like Alan Yom and uh, then they, yeah. you know, got relegated. So you can you can never really tell with these teams that because it is very tight and the summer can completely change uh,
1: how they perform. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. But I'm, I'm a bit more of Burnley than you, perhaps. All right, let's take a break there, Nick, and then we'll move on to Cardiff. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Cardiff le- next, Nick. And I know you're a bit of an expert on Cardiff
0: there's a little bit of ironic uh, irony there. So I think um, I might have jazz Richards at 4.0 in the team just for the lulls, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I know last season I described Huddersfield as, as the, going to be the whipping boys of the premier league and how I wasn't too interested in Huddersfield assets. And I'd only be, um, you know, looking at the teams playing them. And then after all that, I ended up with, um, Zanka in my team for half the season. So, uh, yeah. I think there's a, there's going to be, um, a few options. I think Cardiff, they've got a decent opening three, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Huddersfield. But then there's probably a, there's a nightmare run after that that's probably going to send chills down Neil Warnock's spine. And so we'll see if he decides to quit before those fixtures even arise. And um, They've got, after Huddersfield, they've got Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, Burnley, Spurs, Fulham, Liverpool. So that's, that's a really tough set of fixtures there for Huddersfield, um, for Cardiff even. The main man, I guess, the leader at the back will be uh, Sean Morrison at 5.0, who managed to score seven goals in the Championship last season. But I think um, at that price of 5.0, it's a little bit too expensive for... um, for me, I think I prefer the likes of the 4.5, some of the 4.5 defenders that we've already discussed, like you know, Cook and Daniels.
1: Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, I mean, I was very surprised that he got the 5.0. To be honest, I mean, maybe they read our prospects and the prospects article on him and noted what he could do. Um, as you said, he's on the end of all of the free kit of all of the set pieces. I think it was uh, Joe Rules who's going to be taking those uh, set plays by the looks of it. At 5.0, who could be interesting. Um, the, defen- the defense, the defense probably isn't what i'll be looking at um i think lee peltier i mean you mentioned jazz richards the Peltier played 27 games for them last season. Comes in at 4.0. He could be, perhaps, one to wedge in and hope for the best with with them. In terms of kind of players that I think we'll be looking at, um, Bobby Reed at 5.5 is their big signing so far. Uh, he came comes in from Bristol City, uh, clocking in 19 goals, seven assists last season. He's a bit of a converted kind of striker. He, I think he was a midfielder, and they kind of pushed him further forward, and he kind of discovered his uh, discovered his vim and vigor. There's also kind of a Kenneth Zahor as well, a 5.0 of football manager fame, uh, who's more of a defensive kind of forward in a lot of ways. I remember him being my non-goal scoring forward as it were for Burnley uh, when I had a game like that. Um, it's probably going to be a bit of a tough season for them, I think. I just feel, I think at the start of last season you were very anti them, weren't you? And then it turned out they went unbeaten for the first four or five games, I think it was. But for Cardiff, it's going to be quite. Uh, I think it's going to be quite hard. I mean, I, I mean, Neil Warnock is a bit of a promotion specialist in the Championship, isn't he? Rather than having the technical savvy to, to take take them on in the Premier League, who knows if that up up and atom kind of uh, management style is going to be worthwhile. Uh, another point to make, maybe the keeper, um, whether it's Efridge or Smithies, might be a decent shout. I mean, um, I just looked at Jack Butland's record from last season, actually. Uh, obviously, Stoke got relegated, but he made the most saves, the most parries and faced the most shots. And he saved 144 of the 201 shots he saved, which was 72%. OK, not too many points, but you might end up with getting kind of three or four as your baseline if you have Efridge in goal and Cardiff keeps it, keep it tight and you can see one perhaps. Um, but we're really struggling
0: here, aren't we, in terms of Yeah, I exactly. think in terms of assets, there's not too much going on. Cardiff, in terms of what we'd recommend, there's also a Junior That He's 5.5. He managed nine goals um, in the Championship last season, but it's worth noting last time um, he featured in the Premier League for QPR. He um, played twenty-two games, managed zero goals and one assists. So not not the greatest output from him when he plays in the Premier League. Historically,
1: I'm not too sure about Cardiff generally. And there's a great piece by FPL Guidance. Uh... Recently, about the newly promoted, in which he points out that if you're going to be guessing a, a player from a team, do it for the long term rather than the short term. In the short term, I don't think it's worth having Cardiff player if you want to have like you know Peltier or Rules or something as you're you're on the bench. That may be worth it, um, but for us at the moment, I think that Cardiff are probably going to be in a void. Right, um, let's move on to Chelsea then, Nick. What the hell is going on there? We don't know. It's quite early days. Maurizio Sarri, he's coming in. Jorginho he's coming in. Um, And it's looking like kind of all change there. They've actually got, and a lot of people have been overlooking them because it's been, because of the uncertainty. They've actually got a very good opening six, haven't they, Nick? They've got Huddersfield away to begin with, um, Arsenal at home, Newcastle away, Bournemouth at home, Cardiff at home, so two home games in a row, and then uh, West Ham away. Um, So it could be the case that if Sarri comes in, everybody kind of gets settled and we get an indication in pre-season what the team's going to be and what the team looks like we may end up with a lot of drafts being ripped up to try to fit uh, Chelsea players in, Nick. Um, who have you been looking at in terms of uh, the men on the ground for Chelsea?
0: So I think what's interesting about the new manager, unlike um, Antonio Conte, who played um, five at the back, um, he, he prefers um, four at the back, a uh, 4-3-3 three, three type formation. So that raises some question marks in terms of some of the defenders and some of the you know the key assets um, that were really the talisman for Chelsea last season, um, Alonso, equator and, and Victor Moses, because I think um, equator is not really a, a 4-4. You know, he doesn't really tend to play in the, in the centre of defence in a partnership. He works well as part of a free man defence, so he could end up being shuttled in at right-back, which might um, impact Victor Moses' minutes. Alonso might see his minutes um, lessened and he might be you know, having to play more of a fullback position as opposed to the marauding wingback that we've um, learned to love over the last couple of seasons. But I still think both of them are, um, you know, very good options at 6.5. They, um, they're they right at the top of our points per value charts. Um, Aspilicueta, you know, well-known as a, as a baps magnet and he was an assist king. And Alonso, um, the goal scorer Alonso and uh, Victor Moses were top of the charts in terms of shots on target for... Um, defenders last season you know great great fpo assets who we've talked about um lots of times on the pod Uh, i think fabregas is another interesting one six uh, 6.5 million Uh, he created 89 chances last season only third behind ericsson and de Bruyne and actually had a better minutes per chance ratio than those players as well and i think it's unlucky that um was so inept at converting those chances and it depends if he's recognized as a key key player by Surrey, then he could be really good value. He was only second to Ryan Giggs in terms of historical assists within the Premier League with 111. But I wonder if the signing of Jorginho, as you mentioned Tom, it, that would reduce um, Fabregas's game time? I don't know, even though he plays more of a defensive midfielder than uh, Fabregas. I don't I know. Think, I think
1: Jorginho is a midfielder. He's like in the foot manager parlance. He's a deep line playmaker defence. Um, he's that sort of player. I mean as you said Fabregas the numbers I just don't know how he manages to do it Year are in Europe to end up with answers creative we've mentioned that throat as well Six point five. if Sarri does like him he could be a fantastic um fantastic choice however yeah, there is a lot of question marks there I mean I'd look at um a, a few a few players I mean I read a couple of articles I mean I'm not I'm not an expert on this at all but it looks like Sarri likes as you said the back four and he likes one of the defense one of the the full backs to push forward so last so for Napoli it was Goulam push forward while the other one who was high side um, at Napoli tucks into a back three sort of thing while they're on the attack um, so it could be that Alonso keeps his place but the worry would be about the discipline I'm not sure that Alonso has quite as a discipline to track back as well as bombing forward so maybe we'd even see Emerson Palmieri kind of play who knows maybe he'll suit kind of the Sarri's kind of way of doing it what is interesting about Sarri as well is that apparently he doesn't really change his team very much he is the sort of manager who has his kind of set 11 and just plays them week in, week out and is very predictable. But the quality of the football is what impacts um, how well the team does rather than making changes. And um, that was just through kind of reading Paolo Bandini's column in, in The Guardian week in, week out on him a little bit as well. In terms of players, you mentioned a few of them. I want to pick out as piliquetta um as usual bps king he uh, made 914 bonus actions last year uh, bps worthy actions 130 more than next challenger and he assisted maratta on a record uh, for record 7 uh, times uh, one i quite like nick is, uh, is your man mr rudiger um 6.0 he actually when he did play for germany at the world cup was very uh, looked very good and um, whenever i've seen him play for chelsea he's looked very good Scored two goals last season, and he also outstatted Injedson, and who's probably yet to make sixty minutes. I don't think we've ever seen that happen uh, defensively. And both his goals came from set pieces last season. Rudiger as well. Um, so if he does kind of begin to play in pre-season, if he does come take over from Gary Cahill, and we don't know if uh, David Luiz, who's five point five, will come back into the team now. Uh, uh, now, Conte, who seems to dislike him, has gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Rudiger is definitely one to bear in mind at 6.0. And I think he may be one who may slot into the Laporte slot in my team if um, he is looking like he's going to be playing.
0: Um, but as P at 6.5, Alonso at 6.5, it requires a bit more moving around. Yeah, I think I think for me Rudiger is an interesting option, but you just need that affirmation that he is going to start week in week out. There's a little bit of competition for um, you know the central defences. You mentioned Kristensen, you mentioned David Louise, Gary Cahill as well. So it'll be interesting to see who Sarri likes and how he sets up his team and who, who's in who's in favour, who's not in favour at this moment in time. We don't really know so. Yes, it's a little bit up in the air. I think Asper the is definitely someone that I would personally invest that extra naught point five if you have that security he's he's so essential to that back client wherever he starts as part of a back free whether he's a a wing back or a full back. He'll be he'll be key for Chelsea. I still think
1: whoever Sarri signs, whatever team he sees, I and mean, come as you are, I think Aspilqueta is still going to be the dependable, Mr. Versatile, and still be part of that of that back four, that defensive unit. And up front, um, Giroud or Morata, or maybe Higuain. If Higuain signs, by the way, that's going to be probably the the. Most exciting signing of the, of the summer. We haven't really had the big one yet. We have Mo Salah, and then we had Aubameyang in the last two transfer windows. Iguain to Chelsea. Could that happen? That would be absolutely fantastic. Um, just for, for just for FPL reasons, rather than for the teams we support reasons, but but still, um, Giroud still at the World Cup final. So Murata at nine point zero again, quite well priced last season. Who was ten at the beginning of the season? Could he sneak a look in? Um, Morata last season was in the top five for attempts. Um, he was level with Salomon Rondon um, with 79, uh, 43% shot accuracy. Um, there was a little bit of a little bit of a bandwagon for, uh, for Morata going on Twitter over the last few days, Nick. Would you ever be considering Morata
0: again? No, I'm not going to be considering Morata. I think he's <laughs> definitely one of those players that just... I think um, for me... I think we had a big debate about Morata versus Firmino um, on the pod last season. I was backing Morata, you were backing Firmino. That was definitely one of the ones that you won. But I think yeah, one if, of the um, few victories. He <laughs> one of the few victories. But I think there, um, uh, I think he'd be a really interesting option if he does come to Chelsea. And definitely uh, excited to see him come to the Prem if he is involved in a swap. But we'll have to see. Um, we know that Giroud's still at the um, World Cup, so he won't be around for at least a few few game weeks, so Murata may start for Chelsea, and with the first fixture, you know, perhaps that's the reason for the band work, and I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there could be something there. And I think we do see often that clubs get overlooked because there's a little bit of uncertainty and people think, oh, God, you know what's going to happen. Um, but the assumption, the underlying assumption that we're making is that they're going to be rubbish or oh, they're not going to show up or the other team's going to beat them or something like that. I mean, if we really look at that assumption, do we really think that's going to happen with Chelsea? Probably not. I think they're probably going to be good enough to get a win against Huddersfield at least. Uh, but let's crack on. Um, Let's go to Crystal Palace. Um, the very good start to the season for them, Nick. Uh, very good start to the season for them, Nick. Uh, Fulham away, uh, Liverpool at home, um, Watford, Southampton, Hardersfield, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Wolves and Everton. So, decent first nine. Um, I know that a lot of people are looking at them and in particular looking at Wilfred Zahar.
0: Yeah, yeah, much much depends here, I think, on, on Zaha, whether he'll stay at Palace after he's uh, recently rejected his contract because he's been linked with several clubs as well. He's been reclassified as a forward, which perhaps will stem the appeal of Zaha for some people. But he's also actually, because of this reclassification, he's uh, benefited from not having a price increase. So he's still at 7.0, which I think offers, offers really, really good value. And he's definitely someone that I'm looking at as a... Um, perhaps my second striker, uh, though the, the transfer rumours is, is is putting me off a little bit at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, he got nine goals and seven assists last season. He gets less points, but he gets more BPS uh, for a goal being scored. Uh, last season, when Zaha was out of the team early on, um, Palace didn't get a win without him. Um, so it's obviously... Uh, you know, news that he's looking to move on is obviously a bit worrying. Uh, the talisman last year was uh, Luka Milio- um, who got, I think it was 10 goals, actually, he got. Uh, the vast majority of them were from set pieces, and he's got a price hike of 2.0. Uh, he's gone up to 6.5 mili, uh, mili um, which is uh, probably going to price him out of this game uh, for now, for me at least. Um, but I'm guessing there may be some people who uh, still have the love um, for Milli. Um, who are going to have him in game week one and, you know, get a penalty or something against Fulham. Uh, so who knows? Um, in midfield, Andros Townsend um, mentioned him a minute ago. Uh, he created the joint second most chances, last season. Um, 60, 16 of his 65 chances created were big chances. Um ridiculous proportion of uh, chances created. So I
0: guess, Nick, he doesn't just cut inside and shoot. Yeah, that's an interesting stat because yeah, I know he is the Andros Robot, just cutting inside and uh, shooting. The one, the player at Crystal Palace, I wanted to talk about, and uh, I don't know, if Tom, Tom knows who that is. Uh, it's Patrick Van Patrick Hanhoe. Yeah, five point five million. Um, and I, I think I've got a little bit of regret actually with PVA because um, last season I, I kind of wimped out of getting him on a minus four in game week thirty-eight, only for him to score eighteen points. I think his offensive stats for defender are absolutely excellent. He's uh, scored more than five goals for the past three seasons. Unfortunately, his uh, defensive stats aren't particularly impressive, with his goals being almost equal to the amount of clean sheets um, that he's got in the season. I think he had five goals, six clean sheets or something ridiculous. So that's the reason why his his score wasn't as high as it was. But with that opening round of fixtures uh, for Crystal Palace... Um, which is brilliant. I think they've got Fulham, then they've got Liverpool, but there's Watford, Southampton, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Wolves, Everton. That's that's a really good round of fixtures. So you'd like to hope that PVA will get some clean sheets um, in those games. I think um, what's impressive about PVA, he was, a, he was the third for goal attempts for defenders last season with only with 33 only behind uh, Moses and Alonso. And uh, he was also third for minutes per chance, 66.2, joint seconds for shots, on target for a defender and this wasn't a one-off actually because last season he was fourth for goal attempts for defenders and the season before he was actually first for goal attempts for defenders with a whopping 46 shots despite playing for Sunderland.
1: Yeah and also of course at the start of last season uh, Crystal Palace were in turmoil so with Roy Hodgson having gone through the pre-season we might be hoping for a bit of a better start for them remember
0: I think they took them a- Eight or nine games to get a single point, didn't it? Yeah, um, I think Frank de had a a really bad uh, run of run of games where he couldn't even score a single point, and it was very soon Frank de wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think he's going to want to bleach that out of his memory for for the time being. Uh, The final one to mention before we have a break and uh, before we move on to Everton is uh, James Tompkins. Uh, James Tompkins is uh, of the highest owned 4.5s at the moment, the one with the highest points per game. Um, He scored 3.54 points per game last season, despite uh, I think he played about 28 games. Um, The the numbers are okay for him. Uh, He had 20 shots in the box last season and and went on quite a decent little run of uh, scoring. He could be one. Uh, that a lot of people uh, should be considering, and I think that lot, he is uh, kind of showing up in a, a fair few squads now after being given that 4.5 valuation. And um, Scott Dan as well, um, a goal scorer of season past, currently injured, but he could also be one that could be worth bearing in mind. Right, uh, let's take a break there, Nick, and we move on to uh, Everton, Fulham, and finally Huddersfield. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
0: So we're back, and it, it's, it's time to to talk about Everton. And uh, I think last season, they, they had a really tough run at the start of um, the season. And they never really got going, actually. I think I remember Coleman starting the season looking fresh-faced and happy and quickly turned into an unshaven mess before we got fired. Uh, but it's the opposite this season. no Europa League. And they've got a great fixture run with an um, opening fixture against Wolves, Southampton, then and they got Bournemouth, Huddersfield and West Ham. 4 Arsenal. So yeah, really good opening five. Um, in terms of assets, um, we're not going to be seeing Rooney this year. He's he's off um, making his debut for DC United. We're not going to see Dice slowing up the play. They've got a new manager, Marco Silva. He's attack-minded. So I'm thinking here we are now, entertain us Everton. Um, and the man I'm looking at, uh, mostly is a uh, guilty guilty sigerson actually. Um always been a big fan of his. Oh, really? Um he, he's had a one point zero million uh, drop in terms of value as well. So I think um hopefully he can start to get more involved in Everton's play now um Wayne Rooney's departed and that AMC um slot is is freed up. And I think um working alongside the likes of Walcott and Tosin um Sigurdsson can really show some of that form from um, the pre from the season past. I think in 1617 season he was he was actually third for goal attempts uh, where he scored uh, nine goals, but um, his stats were pretty terrible this season. But hopefully he can rediscover that form that he had when he was at Swansea. I'm hoping anyway.
1: Yeah, in the last season, uh, he scored 14.4% of all, all Swansea's points in that last season he, he got there before he got his move. And, of course, he was injured towards the end of last season as well, which impacts his stats. and um, a lot of love for Everton at the moment. Three uh, lines, hero, Jordan Pickford. Uh, fun fact for you, uh, Pickford made more recovery saves, which is when you jump on a loose ball than any other goalkeeper with 403. And he also came second to Jack Butland for parries. He made 69 parries versus Butland's 80. I think probably a lot of the interest is going to be in the defence. Seamus Coleman versus Leighton Baines. Again, rearing its head for a lot of people. Uh, Baines, the warrior, played 22 games last season, created the chance every game with 24. Um, and Coleman versus Coleman, who only played 12, but he created the chance every 148 minutes. But Coleman still took more shots than Baines during that time. Coleman also registered more than five points per game when he was playing in 2016-17. So we know what an effective force he can be. Uh, Michael Keane at 5.0, also a cheap route in there. Um, he had first in head tense last season and a decent chance of bones to they keep a clean sheet. In the midfield, uh, you mentioned Siggy. I'm on Walcott at the moment. Good old Theo. Uh, 5.4 PPG over the last three seasons. And something interesting to note here is that on the Marco Silva in H1 of last season before that ridiculous drop-off in uh, form which uh, people like Tom Campbell have noted, he averaged 6.0 points per game in those first, uh, I think it's 15, 16 games the Marco Silva. Theo, if he does get going, is a good player. And I think a 6.5 is, is absolutely fantastic value. And you mentioned Tosin as well. Half season was relatively quiet and um, playing stodgy Allardyce football. But this guy takes a lot of shots. At Busictus, He was recording four shots per game. Harry Kane level of pot shotting. And if he gets fed, it could be gold uh, for 7.0. As Simon Rutherford said in our uh, in our Slack, you can't go far wrong. And he took 16 shots in 14 games last season, if anyone's interested, scoring five. Uh, Tozen at 7.0, Nick. I mean, you mentioned Zaha, you're interested in him. At uh, uh, 7.0, could Tosen be interesting in you as well? You
0: saved 0.5 on Siggy, potentially. Yeah, Tosin, I think he definitely is an option. I still prefer Zaha as an option, or even maybe an Itch at that price range. So yeah, Tosin, I think definitely someone that, you know, with those fixtures runs, if he, if he, if he can find some form, some goal-scoring form, he's definitely someone that uh, people should look at. But he hasn't necessarily shown enough for me as of yet that he's a top-level striker. Yeah, I guess a 7.0 still counts as a fairly decent punt, despite the
1: fact he's not really proven. Hopefully, with the preseason kind of out of the way, Wayne Rooney out of the way, um, you know, he's the key man, the undisputed uh, number nine there, I think. I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for example, is going to be or is going to be coming in. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Nias? Uh, but it looks like uh, Tosen's the key man there. So that could be one I think that a lot of people will be looking at, and I
0: certainly might be looking at him as well. Um, shall we move on to the costures then, Nick? Yep. So, Fulham, um, their fixture run is, uh, you know, it's mixed. They've got opening game against Crystal Palace, um, which is reasonable, but then they play Spurs. Then it's Burnley and Brighton, and then it's Manchester City. So, you know, they're mixed um, sets of fixtures. I think um, if you look at the goalkeepers, uh, Bettinelli and Button, could be a good 4.5-4.0 uh, goalkeeper combination. We saw last season Lossall and Ryan um, from the two promoted clubs. Um, were two of the top five best value goalkeepers in the Premier League. So there's always good value in the back. And we, we always see, you know, there's gonna be Philum are gonna have lots of the teams, you know, taking taking shots. So hopefully, uh Bettinelli and Button could uh, could prove themselves as a you know good value Premier League goalkeepers, as is the trend from the promoted clubs. I know you've done some analysis on Tom Kearney as a, a 5.0 midfielder. You did a comparison between him and Neves. I'm not convinced personally that he will actually score enough to be um, in people starting 11s. And I think if you're looking at Fulham midfield, I think maybe um, Kevin McDonald could be a good option as a £4.5 million bench warmer. He played 45 games for Fulham last season and scored uh, three goals and and one assist. So he works in the centre of the park as well, even though he plays more of a defensive role uh, compared to Kearney.
1: Yeah, interesting one. A good shout for that. And I think they are this sort of team that it's punts and it's a few. I mean, obviously, the assessment will come on to in a minute Um they've played very attacking football, which should be noted under Slavisa Jokanovic, And he has said he's not going to be uh, compromising on his principles. So we may see uh, a few high scoring games for Fulham. Um, as you said, Best Nelly may be very busy. Um Tom Kearney then. What's really interesting about Tom Kearney is that he's got very, a, a very good assist potential. In terms of creativity, he managed 1.69 chances created and 1.84 key passes for Fulham last season, uh, which is uh, very encouraging. That's more than double uh, what Ruben Neves, who's the 5.0 at Wolves, who may be his kind of comparator, uh, managed this despite missing the early part of last season with an injury. And in terms of goal threats and um, Kenny scored six last season, but uh, Tom Kenny. What's interesting about him is that in 2016-17, when he had a full preseason, uh, he scored 13 goals and got 10 assists in 46 games, uh, which is pretty damn good. Um, he scored 0.28 goals per 90, if if that kind of makes sense, indicating that he may be a better prospect now that he has a he's had a year back in the fold and probably gets a full se- preseason back under his belt. Um, the, the most known man of course is ryan Sessegnon. lots of hype about him very surprised to see he got the six point five i think that that is a bit of a a bit of a punt really um by fpl and you know last season he was very good we 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 gave him three point five out of five actually in our uh, prospects and the prospects um noted that he's got very high shot accuracy and he's very kind of intelligent so he's very good anticipating how to find the space to take a shot but i think i still prefer joser of the six point fives at the moment due to the strongest squad of wolves and uh obviously Theo Walcott just for the, the proven track record the only one the only, the only other one actually maybe is uh, Seri who's just joined uh, 5.5 two goals five assists last season uh, seven goals and nine assists the season before interestingly with Seri Nick this is prospecting the prospects obviously um, Seri's statistical output is near identical uh, between the two seasons it's just the last season for whatever reason there was a massive progression in terms of this could be because he was, on, he was unmotivated he was unsettled the summer before or it could be that you know, for whatever reason didn't quite work for him last season, but he could be quite effective, and equally, he could free up Tom Kearney to bomb forward a little bit more and become more of an attacking influence
0: rather than a kind of a midfield stabiliser. Yeah, that's very interesting, Tom. I think, uh, on I think he's uh, obviously an incredibly exciting uh, prospect in the Premier League, um, at 6.5 million as a midfielder. We were we were hoping that he might be classified as a I think perhaps wishful thinking at one point uh, when he was playing back as left back for the first half of the season in the championship for Fulham. We were hoping he'd be classified as a, a defender at around the five point five million range. But I think um, we'll have to kind of wait and see with the session on and see how he gets on in his first season in the Premier League because he is an incredibly talented young footballer with a lot of potential. But whether it's too soon for him as an FPL asset, we'll have to see. I think the only other person that I think we were going to briefly cover and talk about, I think, is up front. They've got a 4.5 million forward that may may play and therefore may feature in my team on the bench. And that's uh, not Chris uh, Kamara. 4.5 um, as I said um, last season he, he's a bench player I mean he started 10 games he uh, came off the bench for 22 but he still managed to get seven goals and one assist so he could fit into that sort of Colin Quayner category of 4.5 million pound forwards that occasionally uh, make flutterings on the bench
1: um, yeah but also, also I think keep an eye out for disciplinary with uh... Not the Amancy, not Chris Abu Bakar. I think his name is, camera. Seven yellow cards and one red card. Um, despite not being on the pitch very much last season. So a bit of a worrying disciplinary yet. 4.5 in the round the first team. You're basically writing off a slot anyway and hoping for a one-pointer. Probably going to be a zero-pointer by the looks of it if he gets yellow cards that frequently. But still, you know, a, a, someone worth noting. I think somebody who probably will be in our Game Week 1 squads. Right. And the last one, I think, for this particular preview is Huddersfield. Yeah, a bit of a dodgy start for them. They start against Chelsea at home, then have Man City away game week two, for which we're all going to be captaining canaguero aren't we? Um, Cardiff at home, game week three, optimal respite. And then they've got uh, Everton across the Palace and Leicester. So a bit of a mixed start for them. The terriers are making a lot of signings, and they're kind of, you know, look, looking like they're trying to shape up for the next for the next kind of season. They've just signed Eric Durham, who's a World Cup winner. A World Cup winner going to Huddersfield. That seems quite a, a dream, I think, for a lot of terriers out there. But but still, I think they're going to, you know, have a bit of a tough time of it this season again. Um, I hate to be that person, but uh, I think that's probably going to be true. A couple of good runs for them. Game week ten is game week fifteen. They play Watford, Fulham, West Ham, Wolves, Brighton, and Bournemouth and in game of 27 to 33 again they've got quite a kind of a nice run Newcastle Wolves Brighton Bournemouth West Ham
0: Crystal Palace and Leicester any players you're looking at Nick for uh, for Huddersfield there's no one in particular I'm looking at for my um, starting uh, team mainly because as you mentioned they do have a really tough fixture run. Chelsea is their opening game and then they play Manchester City so that's that's pretty tricky for them I think um, you know of, of players of note, I think Aaron Roy, he's managed to maintain his uh, £5.5 million pound, uh, valuation, which uh, makes him pretty reasonably priced. He was a uh, relatively offensive at points and um, you know, one to watch, certainly for next season. He only did manage four goals and three assists in the end for the campaign, but he was uh, one of their key players. Um, key players and he, he will start every game. And I think the uh, same can be said of their two uh, central defenders, um, Zanka and Schindler. Zanker played every minute of last season. He's actually the, the highest scoring uh, player in FPL from last season at still 4.5 million. So I think, you know, you can have a look at their uh, defence. You've got, um, as you know, you've got Alex Pritchard. He's definitely one to watch. Um at 5.0 as well up front you've got a uh, Poitras at 5.5 a Mounier at 6.0 um, you've also got um, Colin Cainer 4.5 option but uh, you know there's, there's nothing nothing too much to shout about um, in regards to Huddersfield and uh, uh, players, it'll be interesting to see how they get on um, next season. Uh, Thomas Hintz as well, he's dropped in valuation. 6.0 six point zero last season, but he's now down to five point zero. And uh, he he was um, he's right up on right up there in terms of uh, shots uh, for midfielders, but his uh, his uh, conversion ratio was absolutely horrendous. Oh,
1: certainly, certainly. I mean, you spoke about uh, Shinder and Zanka. Just think of them as Huddersfield's version of Duncan Duffy. Very, very similar players. Um, took a very similar num- number of attempts on goal last season as well 10 for Schindler, 11 for Zanka. I mean, if you're on the Huddersfield defender, then, you know choose one of them doesn't really matter that much I mean Schindler was second to Duffy in the CBI stakes were very very similar Uh, Aaron Moy as you mentioned fairly offensive he scored 33% of all Huddersfield's attacking points last year middle of the road stats but a 5.5 of set pieces who will play perhaps one for the zombie team Um, and Pritchard yeah you mentioned him Uh, similar to James Madison in some ways in terms of being a a very good player in the championship who made the step up but he actually matched Moy for big chances created which was five and created the chance more often he creates a chance every 50 minutes compared to every 60 so um, at 5.0 for Pritchard there may be something there and I'm not looking at the strikers let's be honest because we don't know who's going to play who's favoured I mean Jack Ross our friend uh, who uh, as I mentioned is probably going to be De Poitre, but we, we just don't know um, and I'm not too sure with the fixtures there's going to be too much interest in Huddersfield beyond maybe having a having a, an Moy kind of character so for, for your zombie team right um so that's it for the first 10 for now i think that we've we're perhaps a bit kind of a bit optimistic about a few of them we're optimistic about crystal palace to some extent nick we're optimistic about bournemouth's so 4.5s we're maybe optimistic about obamiyang we're split on burnley we're, we're very optimistic about everton and we're not too sure about fulham and huddersfield but i think the next kind of group of 10 is probably the big one and that's you know, that involves Liverpool, that involves Man City, that involves Manchester United, that involves all sorts of teams like that. And that will be where we have the vast majority Yeah, and Spurs as well. And a little team called Spurs that maybe a few people have heard of. Um, but that'll be where the, the, the bulk of our budget will go. And it's also been quite nice, really, that there's been relatively few World Cup players within this particular group. How's your team looking right now, Nick? Uh, very early days, of course.
0: Oh yeah, I've made um, a few allusions as to some of the players that I'm looking at in the defence. Up front, I've got um, I've actually got Sergio Aguero as my premium striker. Obviously, um, with no Harry Kane likely to start at the beginning of the season, I think Aguero definitely a player I didn't actually own at all last season, but one that I'm hoping with Manchester City's opening fixtures. Um, we'll we'll do pretty well at the beginning of the season. Um, I'm also um, I'm looking at Sane as well as another option at Manchester City in midfield. Um, he didn't play obviously in the World Cup, so he'll be fresh. And and Motelar, I think he's going to be key. He's very expensive, obviously this season, 13.0 million. But I think he's he's going to be key to our FPL teams, and I'm going to be starting him, and I'm going to be having him as a, my captain for game of one.
1: Yeah, no, I think a lot of I'm fairly similar. I've got Aubameyang, uh, Aguero, Kun, uh, Aubameyang, Aguero, Salah, uh, Robertson. Davis and De Gea as kind of the the, the expensive players and Pascal Gross as well and the rest of the team sort of built around that but yeah I mean there's obviously a lot of changes to be made but I think I'm probably I am in agreement with you on Mo Salah I mean I've seen a lot of people who are saying I'm not going to have him in um, because look at what you can do without paying that first million. however I think we see this every year with uh, the top billing players that people like oh look I can I can do very well with if I remove him from my team but Come game week one, I think the ownership is going to be pretty high for Mo Salah. It's, it's already almost uh, nudging 50%. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think we're going to end up kind of being feared into owning him, perhaps. Okay, um, there's a theme to every pod. Um, this this uh, th- this week's hopefully uh, fairly subtle. Um, but we'll be doing this every season and let us know if
0: you've spotted it. Cool. Thanks, guys. Uh, just to reiterate, who we are, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us online, www.whogottheassist.com. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. And if you want to join our leagues, the codes again for the main league is 516-441. And for the zombie league, it's 280665-58277.
1: Yep, and this is all on our Twitter, and you can always just you know, reach out and ask us if you're not sure about anything. And um, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with the uh, L to W preview, um, but in the meantime, I hope this assisted you, and it's good to be back. Yep, see you later, guys. Bye. Oh, it's a goal! Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.